so you so you can't remember things. Okay, you gotta make notes. I I remember my name is Don, and uh, my last drunk, by the way, included a monkey, a parrot, and a barmaid. <laughs> But uh, I'll tell you guys one, one thing right now. I am really, really uh, uh, afraid of speaking in public. I've been here almost 40 years, and I do this once every 40 years. So, <laughs> but, uh, so what was told to me was if, uh, you know, you're really afraid and nervous up here, just look out in the audience and imagine everyone naked. I did that. I did that already. And I'm scared. So, anyway, uh, and I uh, started drinking uh, at just about like everybody else, not mine. Just about like everybody else at about uh, age uh, 13, 14 years old, sneaking it and drinking it and throwing up and loving it and going back and drinking some more. You know that. Uh, you know a sane person. If something made them sick, if I ate chicken, it made me sick. I never used it. You know, but that alcohol. You know, that was that. Man, I loved that stuff. That, that was a whole new thing. Oh, I love that thing. Mm. You know, and uh, I was I was pretty well uh, tuned. And, you know, they say this is a a allergy of the body and obsession of the mind. Well, now as far as the allergy of the body goes, I think I was born with it because my dad died at the age of 35 from a heart attack brought on by uh, acute alcoholism. So I got the bug, and uh, you know, and I swore I'd never be like that guy because he was one of these people that you know I never, I hardly ever saw him, and uh, when I did, I got my ass whipped. So you know, I didn't want to see him that much, but uh, and the last time he uh, he did that, well, I was uh, I was about ten years old, and you know. There's two times in a, it's been my experience with my son uh, that uh, there's two times in a young man's life when between 10 and 12, you, you know, you kind of stand up there and say, hey, well, you know, you can't hurt me. And uh, then between, you know, about 16, you know, you know I can take care of that. Yeah. Well, but that's what I did. I was about 10 years old. And he says, well, come on. You know, I knew what was going to happen. I said, okay, can't hurt me. <laughs> Yes, well, that SOB beat me so you could not believe it. It wasn't even funny. There was not a place on my body. He beat me with a strap. There was not a place on my body that did not have a strap marked on it. I'm talking the top of my head to the, down to my feet. And he beat me for half an hour. And something in me at that point died. And I don't know what it is to this day, but I think after talking to people about it, that, you know, that innocence that you have, that these people, your your mother and your dad, are going to take care of you. You know, they're going to do right by you. Well, 
You know, and you don't have to worry about this stuff out there in the world because, you know, you've got them there. Well, wasn't true in my case. And, you know, I, I begged. I prayed to God. God killed this SOB. You know, two months later he was dead. <laughs> so don't get me pissed off at you. <laughs> so, you know, but I carried, I carried that guilt around for a long time. And, you know, and then as I uh, started drinking, I, I, you know, I was a blackout drinker. I, I wanted, that's all I wanted to do, just get drunk. I did not want to drink socially and sit around and talk. I wanted to get drunk. I wanted that buzz. I wanted it to be there. And when I, uh, uh, I quit high school. And uh, so I could continue my drinking. I had gotten a job, and you know, so I had a little money, and me and a couple of guys had a place, and you know, so I wanted to continue drinking. So I quit high school, so I could drink. And then, you know, I went in the army. By the time I got out of the army, I was a full-blown alcoholic. The first year I was out of the service. I saved a lot of money. I was going to go to school. Saved a lot of money while I was in the army. I blew it off. I stayed drunk for a year. Uh, and uh, then, <laughs> my, my poor mother trying, trying to, you know, save her little boy says, "Well, by God, uh, you know, we'll just send you back to Louisiana. Let your uncle uh, go to work for your uncle back there in the oil." <laughs> okay. So I took off back here and. My uncle, who was my dad's brother, was one, he's one of the nicest, sweetest people you're ever going to meet. And boy, was what a sucker. You know what? He was just the kind of guy I was looking for. I, you know, in my mind, I thought I screwed over him more than anything. But you know, because he loved me, he let me do these things. I mean, I didn't work. I, he'd send me out on a job. Okay. And, you know, Friday, you know, you may as well, uh, they were kind of a Christian family, by the way. And you may as well just, you know, uh, we'd go out, me and this buddy of mine would go out on Friday night, which they drunk all weekend, come back in Monday morning, fall in the bed, he'd have a hell of a time getting us out of bed to go to work. And, you know, it just went on and on like that for a year. Then, uh, like the true, true, Guys got his stuff together that I was. My girlfriend calls me from California and says, Guess what? I said, What? She said, I'm late. Late for what? <laughs> and she, and uh, so, anyway, uh, all I, I hauled back to uh, California, married this young lady that poor. She married me, let's put it that way. Because, you know, and then I, I took her back to uh, uh, Louisiana with me. And on our way back there, and I was stone sober at the time. I, uh, 
Hunter, she was pregnant, and on our way back there, I rolled this Volvo right outside of Tucson, Arizona. I mean, you couldn't tell what it was. Uh, threw me out of it and you know, broke my shoulder and a bunch of, you know, had a few bruises and, you know, her, her neck, she was very, very fortunate because the car was coming down and you could see where the door was open and it hit and it saved her life. But we were, we were on uh, television and everything back there, my 15 minutes of pain, and I, I, you know, I'm walking around out there and I'm going, Oh man, where's my wife? I can't find her. It was like, you know, I was knocked out. She's pregnant. She's three months pregnant. We just got married. (laughs) So I told everybody in Tucson. (laughs) But anyway, the people there were good. They were good to us. We got flowers and all that stuff. Anyway, we went back there and had this beautiful little girl was born. I got drunk. And, uh, you know, really enjoyed myself. Uh, my wife was in the hospital with, these, with this little girl. And uh, I got up. I got out of there. And uh, I, uh, you know, we, she had to come back to California. She just had to. So I was getting tired of uh, Louisiana anyway. I'm just about had worn out my welcome. Uh, and so we came back to California. And, uh, you know, like a, I, another year, lost a year there. You know, I was trying to make a living as a pool player and uh, was <laughs> well, not very successful, but I did drink, get to drink a lot of drinks. So, you know, uh, so anyway, this little gal, and I still see her all the time. But, you know, and once that I got sober once I did mature a little bit, oh, I understood the one thing she wanted is she just wanted somebody to love her and to treat her like, you know, she was somebody. And I couldn't do that because I did not have the capacity to do that. I didn't know how. So, anyway, we got divorced. You know, and... Uh, so, well, I then came with five years of just, God, you know, uh, running. I just ran. You know, I had, uh, uh, I was doing some other stuff that helps you uh, accomplish drinking better for longer periods. And, uh, you know, when, uh, hey, it's, it's called speed. And I came into, when I came into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, you may not believe this, but I weighed 147 pounds. Really? <laughs> and I ain't lying, Lawrence. Uh, so, anyway. Uh, so I got married again. Found a, a little gal just waiting for me in a bar. And, moved, you know, we moved in together and then what the hell? We may as well get married. I'll be damned somehow she didn't get pregnant. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so anyway, I had this uh, beautiful son. But before that, before that, there was a long period prior to of uh, me drinking and drinking and drinking and doing the same thing to her that I had done with this other, my first wife. And 
come but and you know and the things that uh, you do when you're drunk and you're not around and you know I was uh, going uh, there again I already had a job but I was trying to supplement my income playing pool and uh, wasn't working but anyway uh, things that happen when you're doing that when you're uh, playing pool in places that I played it and uh, we uh, anyway we lived together and she had, uh, you know, and it's about this time I'm starting to understand that I can't stop drinking. That no matter what I do, you know, no matter what I say, no matter how many promises I make, you know, uh, I can't stop. You know, uh, uh, just, just the thing about this disease, one of the real bad things that it does to you is it takes your dignity from you. It does. You go... And, you know, I always felt like, you know, I was, my word was my bond. And, you know, I, I would try to do that uh, as long as it's to my benefit. But, uh, no, I, I would. And I can remember telling my wife, sitting down, her crying, and wondering what to do because, you know, they, they, they say that people are enablers, that that are dealing with an alcoholic, that is BS. Those are just people that love you and are trying to do something for you and they don't know how because there is no answer. They have no answer. And it's very frustrating for them and it's very heartbreaking for them. And I... Uh, hang on. Uh, I, I can remember sitting there promising, oh, I will never, never drink again. I'm done. Please forgive me. You know, and her, you know, hugging and all this stuff and, you know, boom. So, you know, and I gutted out. Two weeks later, I'm crunk and a skunk. You know, and she's looking at me, seeing the light again. You know, that look on the face. She didn't have to say a word. I mean, those looks can kill you, man. They go right in there. And then I got to the point where I said, well, screw it. I don't give a damn. Uh, I am going to uh, drink. I'm not hurting anybody but myself. And, you know, they can kiss my butt if they don't like yeah, what's going on here. Yeah. And I proceeded to do it. And then uh, one day, when I'm sitting at home, and uh, my wife says, well, you know, my cousin uh, is coming from uh, Arizona, and she's bringing her boyfriend with her. Yeah, okay. So old Smokey shows up. He's, he's uh, about uh, six months sober. You know, he's in that evangelical stage of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. He's saving souls and, you know, things like that. And uh, so, you know, he comes over there and he's telling me about this uh, uh, this program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'm sitting there and I got a, some Jack Daniels and some beer and I'm trying to get this guy to drink some. You know, just see, you know, if he'll do it. You know, because I, I had no idea. I had, you know. But, uh, you know, Smokey didn't take a drink, and he, he went on back to Arizona, 
And that was that. And so then uh, my last drunk with the, which I'll tell you about, with the monkey and the, I started out on uh, Washington's birthday and uh, I was uh, going to stop by this place called Henry's down on Washington Boulevard in Pico Rivera because they had really, really good breakfast freedom. <laughs> so, and they did have beer and uh, whiskey there too, but it was those, it was those breakfast burritos. Well, I got there about the time the place opened, about 6 o'clock in the morning. And so, Henry had in his bar, as entertainment, he had a monkey and a parrot. Okay? And it, if you could imagine how a parrot spoke that was raised in a bar. <laughs> That's the way this parrot spoke. <laughs> and uh, I'm giving you the, the abridged version of this. <laughs> and if you can understand what uh, male monkeys do when they don't have anything else to do, <laughs> then... And uh, did you understand? This is the scene. <laughs> and... Here I am up there having shooters with the cocktail waitress and uh, chasing them with beer, and you know, and I'm about ready to make my move. And uh, so here she comes. Yeah, she comes down to the end of the bar, and you know, I say, "Wait, you know, why don't we just go upstairs?" And she says, "Get out of here!" And not been about this time. The monkey figured, well, you know, that parrot looks pretty easy to me, and so. The monkey starts going up this damn, uh, first he jumped up on the back of a, uh, a booth, then he jumped up and grabbed a deal, and here's the parrot over there going, you know, how parrots talk, and uh, called that poor monkey everything in the world, and here's the monkey doing, the, you know, this thing over there, hanging from, you know, the, the curtain rod up there, and... Uh, Doing this thing. <laughs> and so, me being this slick, silver tongue chic that I am, I says, you know, that monkey is uh, kind of wants that parrot. And uh, I says, not as bad as I want. You. So she goes back there and she calls the police. <laughs> and so she said, I've just called the police. I said, Well, I'm going to San Diego then. <laughs> and I went, I don't know. I It was breakfast when I went in there. But I, by the time I got in, and I don't know what happened in between, by the time I got to San Diego, it was dark, and I went to San Diego with the express purpose of borrowing fifteen hundred, not fourteen ninety nine, not fifteen oh one, but fifteen hundred dollars from my brother-in-law, who didn't have any money anyway, uh, so I could drive back to Louisiana where they understood me. <laughs> 
So I get down here and I go into this, you know, my brother-in-law and sister sitting there and I come in and I explain my situation. And my sister, of course, and my wife are good friends. And she says, you're stupid. You you can't go to Louisiana. I thought, hell, I can't go. And she says, here, drink some coffee. So I drank some coffee. Yeah, and uh, of course I, uh, I, I had uh, done some other stuff besides drink beer, so I could get to San Diego, I guess. So I, uh, <laughs> I jumped in my little 1963 Ford Econoline Super Lover van and took off back to L.A. to. To face face the music, I was uh, so trying to figure out how in the hell am I going to get out of this? God. But also on the way there, here, uh, my I'm driving along, and you know I knew, you know I was I was just kidding myself. I knew that I could not stop drinking. I knew that my you know. Everything was going to fall down right in front of me, and I knew it. And so, what I do, I start praying. Hell, you know, what else do you do when you don't have any more answers? Uh, you pray. So, I started praying, and I asked God, God, please, you know, do something. Please do something. I, you know, I can't do this anymore. And I'll be damned. Now, uh, I'm not a big God guy. I'm not a big God guy. I have mine. And he's mine, and if you want to share him, I'll let you have it a little bit. But uh, uh, he's he's uh, this aberration, okay? This light. I know none of you have heard this before. This light sitting over, you know, right over there in the passenger seat, and it says everything. <laughs> Wait just a second. Everything is going to be okay. It's going to be all right. And I swear to you, this load was lifted off of me like I've never had it done before. And so I went home, and, uh, you know, I got home kind of late. But, uh, you know, I got up, called in, lied. Lied about going to work, you know, and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> got really got bad cold. And anyway, I got there and I, I said, you know, there's, I'm thinking, yeah, well, maybe I'll call Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't know where that came from. I could not. So I called Alcoholics Anonymous. I looked it up in the phone book and there it was. You know, under the age. And, uh, and, uh, so I, I walked in there and, uh, I, uh, got on the phone and, and listened to this now. And I said, and this is my exact words, and I had never seen the big book, never even heard of the damn thing. But here's what I said. I said, I'm here in this house full of people who love me. And I never felt so alone in my life. 
Please help me. Hey guys, said we'll be right there. But let me tell you, you know, I, I went into AA for several years thinking that, you know, this God thing came down and told me to call and all this other good stuff. That wasn't true. It was, it was Smokey who did it. It was Smokey who came in there and says, you know, there's a, there's a way here. You know, I said, here, have a beer. You know, a little shot back in there. You know, but, but it's going in up here. I didn't know that. He planted that seed. He planted that seed, and when it was time, you know, the seed, uh, you know, sprouted. And so, that's uh, kind of my adventure prior. I've, there's a lot more, but, uh, you know, none of them are as good as the monkey and the parrot. But, uh, <laughs> except tonight, uh, you know, I'm still vain. I don't even know I'm bald yet. So, <laughs> and tonight, uh, just to let you know, I, I put in my new teeth to come to do this. But the thing about it is my new teeth are in the back of my head. They're my molars. So the only way that I could ever be discovered would be if I passed out. Someone came over here and looked at my mouth, you know. But I felt like this was such a great occasion. I had to have those teeth. <laughs> but uh, anyway... Uh, so I came into Alcoholics Anonymous, a little place called Serenity Hall in Whittier, California. And, uh, you know, uh, I uh, went in there. I, I didn't know what the hell was going on, what, what they were talking about. Some guy says, here, you want this big book? I says, uh, says it'll be, uh, you know, $7. I said, you're just selling books, you know. <laughs> so, okay, well, I bought the book, you know. And then uh, a little while later, we were sitting there in this meeting, and they're saying, you know, reading the traditions, and they're saying, we're self-supporting through our own contributions. And they started passing this damn basket around for you to put money in. I says, this reminds me a whole lot of a Baptist church. (laughs) Where I was born, by the way, I did have, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, Christian upbringing or not, but I tell you what, I was I was baptized so many times. By the time I was ten years old, I was waterlogged. <laughs> so, so uh, I, uh, uh, you know, I did that. We were talking the other night, the other day at lunch, about uh, you know, saying that. I have these notes. Here. Okay. Well, anyway, we came in here, and uh, I came in here, and I uh, went to, you know, started working the steps. That's what they did when you come in. You know, some old, old dude, probably 60 or something like that, would come up and give you this book and say, hey, let's read this thing together. No, I can read by myself, you know. Well, I graduated to 10th grade. I did get my GED, GED when I was in the service. 
But anyway, and I did get a college education eventually, but that's beside the point. Uh, I just didn't want you folks to think I'm as dumb as I look. <laughs> anyway, my first step is powerless over alcohol and life become unmanageable. Come on. Now, here I am, you know, I've got a 63 40 Conline van with a bed in the back. And I got a wife who's got a job. I got a job. And uh, what the hell? How could my life be unmanageable? Powerless over alcohol? Well, you know, I quit one time for six months. Now I could do it again if I wanted to, but I don't want to right now. Yeah? And uh, so, you know, uh, I didn't understand what powerlessness is. It's not powerlessness over alcohol. It's powerlessness over defeat. <laughs> powerlessness over everything in your life. You think you're running things. You think you have it all in your, you know, you've got it together. And your life has fallen apart around you and you don't care because you got, you got that bottle. Anytime things, I never, never, never felt a feeling from one end to the other until I came into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. I always, if I started feeling something, I got drunk. I didn't have to feel it. And if I, the only feeling I ever had was feeling sorry for myself. And that's the truth. You know, because I had been wrong, they had done something to me. But anyway, uh, the powerlessness over alcohol. You know, I I came to believe. (laughs) And I, you know, Absolutely, I was powerless over everything. And uh, also, you know, uh, it says, came to believe that a power greater than yourself can relieve you or can restore you to sanity. I'd already relieved myself of sanity. I didn't need that. But, uh, and I'm saying this, hey, crazy. You know, but... Uh, you know, the, about the only place that they had for drying out back in those days was Norwalk uh, State Hospital. And I hadn't made it there yet, so I wasn't crazy. And uh, But the thing that happened was, you know, just that same old deal. You know, anyone knowing that when I take this drink right here in front of me, if I take that drink, I cannot guarantee you what is going to happen? I don't know. I didn't know then, and I don't know now. I know I'm going to get drunk, but I don't know what else is going to happen. And uh, and also, let me see. Uh, you know, who would do that? I mean, you talk about the insanity. If you knew that, you know, why would you 
go out there and take that drink. And boom, there you are. And then you do it again and do it again. You know, the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over, except expecting a different result. Well, that's true. And that was me, you know. And uh, anyway, made a decision. That's a biggie. You know, people don't get that. Right, those first made a decision to turn my will and life over to the care of God as I understood Him. You know, I, I understood, you know, I thought I understood who God was from all these Baptist churches and Church of Christ and all these places I'd been to. You know, and He scared the hell out of me. You know, and it, uh, you know, these churches uh, that I went to and the way I interpreted it as a child, you know, you just couldn't, you couldn't make it there. You, you know, you had to be perfect or boom, you know, you were gone. Well, you know, uh, I, I faked it. Really, I did. I faked it. I said, yeah, I believe in God. You know, and in fact, I was ambivalent. I didn't give I just said it, you know, to be on the safe side. You know, should the, should the, uh, coming or whatever it is to come. Uh, I wanted to be known as the guy who believed in God. But uh, so anyway, uh, so I did fake it till I made it. Yeah, you know, really, and that's true. And and that uh, to me, that's a lot of things in this uh, uh, program. People do that, and it's okay because you got to do. It. You know, you think you got it, but you don't. Hey, I've been here 40 years, and I think I got it, but I don't. You know, and anyway, so at 20 years, you know, this God thing, at 20 years of sobriety, I'd come here to Visalia after getting divorced, been married to this second wife of mine for 23 years, we should have gotten, you know, should have parted many years before, but we had a son, and you know, blah, 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 blah. And uh, so, I, uh, you know, came here to Visalia uh, because I had to get out of Dodge, not because I was, uh, you know, uh, the cops were after me, but it was because someone told me that if I didn't get out of Dodge that I was going to screw up my life and the lives of several other people because of my anger at the time. And so, I came down here and this is, I prayed to God. What do you want me to do, God? You know. And uh, here was the answer. Here was the answer. I didn't believe it. It took me a long time to figure it out. But, I got a they put a notice up, hey, you know, I had a certain position within the gas company uh, that says, uh, you know, there's an, an opening in Visay. Boom. I came down here. They said, if you want the job, it's yours. I went back to uh, talk to my shrink, told him what it was all about, and he says, you know, Jones, he says, normally I would tell the man or my patient, you stay here and face your problems. You go to Visalia 
He said, because you are going to screw up some lives. And one of them is going to be yours, and who knows who else. So that's what I did. That's how I got here. And uh, after 23 years, it was still damp, ugly. I'm ashamed of I really am. But I tell you what, and I stopped. There are some areas of my life that I stopped maturing in when I was 15 years old. And until I face those and come upon them, I don't know how to handle them. And I don't know how to handle them, and I screw them up. And then I have to learn from that. But thank God I can learn. Now, I uh, came up here to Visalia, and I had a colleague at the gas company, uh, and I'm not going to mention any names, but she was on the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I guess I don't know how we saw each other or understood that, but uh, I think I must have seen her in a meeting. And she, you know, I'm sitting around there and wondering, what the hell am I going to do? You know, here I am if I say I don't know anybody. And that was true. And the best time I Probably the most time I have grown in my life. And I was here alone. I didn't know anybody. I did, you know, I was alone. And I'm not talking about lonely. I'm talking about here you are alone. You've got to look at yourself. You've got to do this. Okay. Now, I did. I, you know, that's, that's where, you know, uh, you take this, I've taken four steps before. The, the fourth step, the first one, is where you're getting to know yourself. You know, you write all this stuff down, all these fears, all this stuff. You know, you get to know each other. Yeah, I mean, you get to know yourself. You get to, you take more of the more of them, and as time goes on, the more you take them, the more you get to know yourself. And, you know, it's, it's a wonderful part of this program because it's never over. There's no graduating. And that's great. You know? The, the graduation for me and uh, a good friend of mine, John, John Cody, who passed away a year or so ago, uh, is dying sober. That's, that's the graduation. Okay? And, you know, I did this. I took that force of that. And, and slowly but surely... I got to know myself, and I got to get rid of a lot of this garbage that was hanging on there, you know. And I got to understand a little. Now, there ain't a whole damn lot you can understand after six months in Alcoholics Anonymous, but, but after a year, by God, I knew. <laughs> in fact, I was so damn good that. Uh, they had, had this place called La Habra down there, and they had this huge church. And every Friday night, they had a meeting. And there was this, and on your birthday, you got to go sit up there in the front and give your uh, speech. You know, your little, oh, I've been, you know, got about five minutes, and they'd hook you and pull you off. But uh, anyway. By this time, I'm well into my evangelical part of my uh, program. And 
you know, being on tambourines and saving souls and stuff like that. And uh, so, anyway, this guy, I, I get up there and I give my little one-year speech and I dazzle him. I can tell. You know, but this guy go away. <laughs> Probably what you guys are thinking now, but I ain't going. <laughs> so, so uh, I got I got to talk to myself. <laughs> yeah. And so anyway, in walks this uh, this guy. I like I said after I dazzled him and I sat down. The, the main speaker of the evening comes in, and uh, he comes walking down the aisle. It's like the waters of the Red Sea parted, and people. Uh, his name was. Uh, Oh, damn it. Clancy. Clancy. Yeah. The Red Sea parted, and, you know, they're kind of sitting there thinking. And they're, they're actually clapping as he's walking down the damn aisle. No one clapped for me. So, uh, here he comes, here he comes. And he gets up there, and he, you know, gives us our speech, which... After, you know, he spoke and I analyzed it, my little five minutes were hell a lot better than him. So, and uh, anyway, so I walk up to him because I'm, all, I'm still suspicious of you people. You do this weird, you know, you collect money, you, you know, sell books, you have these people come up and you clap for them and I was wondering how much the guy was making to speak there. And uh, so I, uh, you know, asked him, he said, I says, you know, what do you do? I mean, what's your deal? <laughs> and he says, well, I'm Clancy. Uh, I run a, a deal down in uh, uh, mid, uh, Mission down, downtown. And, uh, you know, we, we have a lot of drunks come in there and so on and so forth. He says, I says, wow. I says, he says, hey, look, he says, I know what you said, that uh, I know what you're thinking about, you know, the people clapping. He says, I don't ask for that. He says, I'm a drunk. I'm one drink away from being drunk again. And so you're just like me, and I'm just like you. So anyway, uh, the... So anyway, I got down here, and uh, after that, I took, uh, uh, I went to my fifth step. This is what I call the humility step, you know, because you're doing this stuff, and uh, you know, if you're a proud you know, person that I was, you know, you don't want to have to go in there and admit to God. Hell, he probably already knows anyway. And to ourselves, a lot of it I could accept, and a lot of it I could. And another human being, and that's the one that got me. You know, I had to tell somebody else all this crap that I'd written down on the fourth step. And, uh, you know, and I looked at that fourth step and I wanted to rewrite it and take some of the bad stuff, really bad stuff, out of it. You know, but, uh, but uh, you know, and this is uh, 
it's where you got to talk about the barnyard animals and, you know, all that stuff that you just really never had told anybody in your whole life. And you got to do it. So, anyway, uh, I did it. I didn't do it well, but I did it. Yeah. And, uh, but I've done it again. I'm, I get better every time. And, but you've got to do it. This is really, really, really important. This is the thing that I believe if you don't do to the best of your ability, will get you drunk again. You have to talk about, be able to talk about that dark side of you with someone that you trust. I don't give a damn if it's a wino. You have to, laying out in the street, you've got to tell somebody. And you've got to be as truthful and as honest as you can. And if you don't, I, I, I wouldn't swear to this or anything else, but if you don't, your chances are getting pretty thin as far as I'm concerned. And so, ask God, you know, you know step, step six is the faith step. This is a step that, you know, if uh, uh, you've got to put your faith in this power, greater this entity out here that, you know, you don't know anything about it. You can't see it. You can't touch it. And it talks to you, you think, but, uh, you know, but you have to put your faith in it. It's, it's, and you have to ask Him to please take care of some of these things. Take, take them away from me. Let me get rid of them. You know, clean, let me get my side of the street clean. And then come to the seventh step, which uh, it says, oh, excuse me, also on the sixth step, it says, you got to be entirely ready. I mean, it's not a little bit ready, but entirely ready. If you're not entirely ready to remove these defect characters, He's only going to remove the ones that you're entirely ready to lose. Now, Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, I <think> it is. <laughs> okay. And then you go to and then you go to uh step seven. Humbly ask him. Humbly. What is humility? You know, I I looked at it. Humility is that part of you where you say to God you, you are the father and I am your child or your son but there's women here so child but uh, and I am your child and you know please remove these please do that yeah. and like I said uh, now you've gotten rid of your shortcomings not only your defective character, now your shortcomings are gone, which I've never been able to figure out which two, what the difference between the two were. But yeah. there's the okay. 
Now we're made a list of all the people. Here's another humiliating step, I thought. Is made a list of all the persons I had harmed. And, you know, I whittled on that thing because, you know, there are a lot of people out there to harm me. You know, and so, you know, but I had to put them all back because, you know, I'd harm them sometimes. You harm people and they harm you back. You know, and that's that's what it's all. You know, but you have to put that in your list. That that's some of the be that you don't want to ever talk to again. You gotta walk in there and you know, like you not humbly, but tell him, you know, what you're doing and what it's all about. And he may look at you and say, You and get out of here. Or he may, you know, you know thank you. But it's not that's it's not for them. It has nothing to do with them. It has to do with you. That's part of cleaning up the side street. You've done what you can. If they they say, get out of here, I hate you, I ain't ever done. You've done what you can. You know? And also, uh, they direct men. Well, we've done that already. No. And then we uh, can continue. This is a maintenance step for me. And uh, I continue to take personal inventory. See that I haven't harmed anyone that day in any way. I'm semi-good about this. I don't, you know, I don't sit down there at night and, you know, can I say something bad to so-and-so? Did I yell at that person when I was in traffic? Yeah, damn right I did. That's the way, you know, I hear people say, oh, I've uh, stopped yelling at people. Hey, that's the way I get it out of my system. They can't hear me, you know, and I just yell like hell when I'm out there. You know, oh, you dumb. You know, so you should have heard me in the garage, uh, parking garage tonight. You know, that was terrible. Yeah, but anyway, uh, so that's the main step. That's the one. And then, then there's, a, there's a thing called uh, awareness, God awareness. You know, and that's where 11 comes in. You've got to do this. You've got to, you know, uh, you've got to pray. You've got to think about God. You've got to think about yourself and what is God's will and what is it for you. And how do you do it? And if you, and if you do that, you have, you, know, you have this God consciousness. You can't. And then uh, we come to what, down to what I think it's all about. And it's, that's the twelfth step. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. And that's what it's all. The other 11 steps prepare you to be able to take this message to other alcoholics. Because I don't know whether you guys feel about this the way I do, but, uh, you know, this, this is a gift 
this sobriety thing is a gift. And it's a gift that God gives us that He doesn't give everybody. You think about those poor souls that are out there just still drinking and just can't get this program. But He gives us this power, this, this His power, to sit down, look at that guy next to you, look him in the eye and say, Hey, I know how you feel. I've been there. And for the first time, if you like me, you hear somebody say that, that you really believe, and that, you know, you can, you can rely on them. And you also, you get this gift of this community of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, you got these meetings, you got these people, these friends. These, you know, anywhere you go, I tell you what, anywhere you go, you can walk in the building of Alcoholics Anonymous and you're going to have a friend there. It doesn't make any difference. Because you can look in the eye and say, you know, I'm an alcoholic just like you, and now, here's what my problem is, and he can tell you exactly the way he feels. And, you know, what a gift, huh? You know, there, there's been doctors, there's been psychologists, psychiatrists, preachers, everybody have tried, tried to get people, you know, to sober people up to work. This is where it happens right here. This is where it happens, and it happens because you're here, and you're here, and you're here, and you're here. That's why you're here. If you, if you run around uh, thinking, well, good, what am I here on earth for? Well, here you are. And you're here. And you're doing what God wants you to do. Just the way God wants you to do it. And if He wants you to do it differently, if you're like me, He'll let you know. And so, thank you for letting me share I've uh, usually talk all night, but I've done that in 53 minutes. My God. I'll, uh, I'll take questions and answers. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.